Our sponsor, The Great Courses Plus, is now Wondrium. And if you sign up through our special offer code, you'll get a 14-day free trial of unlimited access. Just go to wondrium.com slash probably. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash probably. Probably science. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. Matt, you sound like you've just done a bunch of stand-up gigs. I, I do. I sound like I've just done a bunch of stand-up gigs in a high-altitude, dry climate. My voice is not ready for either of those. I was uh, I was definitely... Uh, by the way, thank you to people who came out. I saw... Uh, I, I met a few Probably Science listeners after a few of the shows, so hey, thanks for doing that. Oh, uh, I had a lot of fun. I hope you had fun. But um, definitely, I, I guess I... I guess I'd kept my stand-up muscle from atrophying by doing things like Zoom gigs and drive-in gigs, but my talking for 40 minutes plus at a time, six times in the space of three days, and also doing, uh, just being in Colorado in the high altitude, very dry, I, I don't know, you can hear it, there's a, there's a hoarseness <laughs> to me today. Was it, uh, was it all that you were hoping it would be? Uh, it was really fun, it was really fun, yeah, doing like... Uh, Fort Collins was great, the new club. I highly recommend anyone who lives around there go there. So those were like 40-minute sets, and then I was co-headlining in Boulder. And so even just doing two 20-minute sets there was just like or 25 minutes or whatever it was. It was just like, that's, yeah, I I, I don't have the ability that, but these muscles need some workout. But <laughs> What about the uh, uh, hunger of the audiences for live comedy? Was that powerful? They were great. Like, I, I cannot fault any of the audiences at any of the shows. They were really great. It was really, I think people are really excited to be in front of, they're excited, like, uh, as much as I was like, I'm on stage in front of people, this is weird. Like, the number of people who after the show were like, I was in, I'm in a bar. I'm, I'm in a bar listening to a show, watching a show. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was very exciting. It was a lot of fun. And do go to Fort Collins Comedy Fort Comedy Club because uh, they're doing a great new thing there and I highly recommend it. And also do go to uh, the new venue for the Boulder Comedy Club, uh, Boulder Comedy Show rather, which that's been going for the best part of a decade, but it has moved to a new place. Is that the one that used to be at the Beer Garden? Yes, it's exactly oh, okay. that. Yeah, 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 that's a good show. Yeah, yeah Brent Gill's show. And it's yeah. they've, they've moved from the German place to a... Um, they've managed to find... Uh, in Colorado. Colorado now has like a brewery. Oh, what's this now? <laughs> yeah, there's like a there's like a brewery venue in Colorado that um I that there's only the one now, but I think it might, you know, <laughs> I think in a few years time there might be maybe two or even three. I think it's got legs, yeah. Yeah. So there's a they, they've got uh it's in a it's in a brewery, in one of those like big warehouse brewery spaces. They've got really good beer. The staff are really cool. Uh, I hope this thing runs as well. We should introduce our guest and yes. start talking about science things rather than just beer <laughs> and Colorado things. Uh, but uh, it's very funny and very talented and multi-podcaster, Justin DeClue. Hey, Justin. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining. I should have also said very Canadian. Oh, oh no. Please, <laughs> don't give that to me. <laughs> Mildly Canadian? Yeah, mildly Canadian. Except I'm also can French Canadian. Oh boy, that's a whole Ooh. lot of can words. Wow. We were just talking about Canadian postal codes before you got on that. Well, that's that's how I met Justin because we we both guested on a friend of the show Alex Schmidt's podcast talking about 
postcodes and vari- various postcodes around the world, and he brought us all specifically because of our foreignness. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we want to talk about ho ho ho, the Santa Claus postal code. We need a Canadian on here. <laughs> but the spacing, it would look like ho and then oh ho, right? Yeah, you. Yeah, it would because <laughs> it's three symbols and then three symbols after. So it's like yeah. ho and then oh, like you said, <laughs> yeah, like like Santa Claus being punched. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how Santa Claus died. Did you guys know he he said he could take a punch from anybody, but he was surprised him before. What's good about that is the guy ready. that punched him then turned into the Santa Claus because oh, of the Santa Claus rules. That's, that, well, that's that is the Santa Claus, of course. Yeah, yeah. Santa's last words was "Thank you for freeing me from my imprisonment." <laughs> I saw I saw mommy punching Santa Claus. Oh man, we got a novelty song on our hands. Yeah, we do. So that mommy could become sick. And I lost mommy forever. Oh, that song got even darker than usual. It's about time we had a female Santa Claus. Let's make this happen. It's 2021. If you're a woman and you see Santa, punch him as hard as you can. All she has to do is kill Santa. Make sure it's a killing blow. Because if you anger him, it's just going to be worse than you. It just makes him stronger. Yeah. You, you don't want a super strong Santa. Uh, where were we? Right, postal codes. Yeah. Postal codes, Canada. Uh, and and you you also host various movie podcasts. That's right. I host the Important Cinema Club, No Such Thing as a Bad Movie, and one called the Bay Street Video Podcast, where me and my co-host who works at a video store, yes, they still exist, go through Ooh. new releases every week. <laughs> new releases. That's awesome. right. There are like 50 to like 80 new Blu-rays and DVDs that come out every week. It is wild. And you've never heard of any of them. <laughs> <laughs> How many of them are horror? I feel like they're all horror. No, they're not. You know they're what's not. huge? World War II films. People oh. cannot get enough of, like, usually European World War II films because it's kind of like a comfort blanket for older people, and it sells like hotcakes. And again, you have never heard of any of them. <laughs> huh. And it's not like people on the downs, uh, like, it's not like people who you have heard of who just haven't worked in a while, actor-wise. It's like you also don't know any of the cast. Yeah. Uh, sometimes there'll be, like, one person that you've heard, like Helen Mirren. Oh, man, if she's in a movie, whoo, boy, the poster's all over because that's what rent uh, the most but usually it's not people that you know and you look at the films and you're like are these like money laundering operations of some right. kind <laughs> it's the producers yeah. mm-hmm. yep. some tax write-off some weird kind of oh exactly some big like weird complicated way and at the end of it you have a world war ii film that your grandparents watch and went ah that was a fun time <laughs> <laughs> or just someone who has a lot of just came into a lot of World War II memorabilia and just needs to do something with it. Oh, I would love to see that movie. Yeah, like they've never made a film before, but they're like, listen, I have all of this Nazi memorabilia. I can't really do anything with it, but I could do a World War II film. I have to justify owning this in some way. (laughs) Right. Yeah, when you have guests over, you're like, hey, but I made a World War II film. And they're like, oh, okay, that makes it okay then. The only, way, the only way a swastika could be a write-off is if you show you put it oh, wow. in a movie. What's the what's the accept what's the least amount of allied memorabilia that you have to have in <laughs> right. addition to your world, to your Nazi memorabilia to oh, justify the ownership? You just have to go to the uh, business bureau to figure that out. <laughs> By the way, as as a movie fan and video store fan, what did you think of the blockbuster documentary? 
You know what? I didn't see it. Oh, and I haven't even heard of it. As my uh, friend Mark Hansen said, who co-hosts the podcast with me, he was like, I live this every day. <laughs> like, I don't need to watch a documentary about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not much more than everyone saying it was fun to go to Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know if, as a fan of, I'm assuming, indie video stores, if you were like, man, this is just like big, big video store trying to like shove this down our throats or something yeah like big videos trying to come back <laughs> they're yeah, like yeah. Uh, we made this puff piece on blockbuster because they're coming back baby i mean blockbuster like was... people had a lot of like fond memories they did crush indie video stores Exa- exactly right but That's, you don't want to yeah. take the, like the fond memories people have for it either and be like oh well excuse me <laughs> they were actually evil right right it's just a l- it's a little bit like just having like a nostalgia thing for Best Buy or something. So, well, exactly. Yeah, or the Canadian version Future good... Shop, where you're like, ah, yeah. oh, I miss going to Future Shop. Hey, when, when we wanted a vacuum cleaner, we'd go into a building. Uh, <laughs> I, I do remember, like, the, the old video, like, the indie video store b- b- near us, though, that existed before Blockbuster. And it was kind of like, you know, it was in the back of... Uh, like another shop it was like a it was like a grocery shop it was like a like a corner shop like basically say, like you had little... to go through beads and it's all like adult films that you had to go to <laughs> it was like that but it was like all the films were just in like the back like it was like here, here's like a here's where you can buy eggs and milk but then like in this little back corner we've got like you know 200 films uh like 200 video cassettes but uh so you could rent those but if you don't bring them back, it costs like a thousand pounds. Do they send people after you? Like, yeah. how do they keep track of that? Yeah. They, we, we know where you live. We, we literally, <laughs> you live there. Yeah. Across the street. Yeah. A thousand pounds. I remember my dad being like, this late fee I have is quadruple the price of the tape if I just bought it. <laughs> yeah, it's... Did that store also have uh, sun-faded movie posters in the windows that oh, became indistinguishable best. from just the black and white? <laughs> Where you're like, <laughs> Die Hard 2 came out like 25 years ago. Yeah. Why is there still a poster of it in the window? And why are the guys on it Indian? <laughs> 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 that's that's a great game, by the way. Trying to work out, like, you ever seen, like, the, sort of the Indian or African remakes of, like, the Bollywood version of, or the Croatian version of a well-known film? Oh, yeah. Bollywood uh, made that a cottage industry for a while. It's like, do you like Christopher Nolan's Memento? Well, how about a version with martial arts? Because Bollywood made it. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Love it. Um, So, Justin, we'd like to ask our guests this before we get deep into the science stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? And that's great at all. (laughs) So so that that's ranged from like I didn't do any subjects at school to uh, or. I hated it till I liked it at school or I used to blow stuff up in the woods with my friends. I was trying to think about like any science classes that I actually took and I could not remember any. I, I recall sitting there at science desks, but I don't have any fun stories like, ooh, we made a volcano or anything like even like the base simple stuff, which makes me think that I was like, get me out of here. Put me in, I don't know, an English class or something like that, because I was never very good at math or any of that kind of memorization stuff. So science probably scared the bejesus out of me and I tried uh-huh. to get out of it as quickly as possible. Well, were you, uh, were you a movie buff even as a kid? Oh, yeah, as a teenager, definitely. But I lived in a small French town, so I was, like, the only movie buff <laughs> that was going around. We didn't have an AV club or anything like that. What town was that? Not that uh, it was no a small town called Castleman. 
Uh, yeah, it's a very small town. But you know because its main street is called Main Street, and it's the main drag in the town. Oh, Crack okay. even the only drag in town. <laughs> it shows up as Village in Ontario, Canada. Hmm, exactly. There's no movie theater there. That's the kiss of death of any small town. Population 3,500. That is a legit small town. <laughs> it is indeed. Wow, 3,500. Wow. Yeah. You could walk, you know, to school, and you just see cows miling about... And it was when I was a teenager, you could cross the train tracks and there was no fences or anything like that. And what we loved to do was like put pennies or apples or other stuff sure, on it and watch them yeah. explode. Yeah. Like, you know what? That's a science experiment. I'd say uh, so. Eventually, we showed up one day and there were fences up. And I assume it was probably because they got tired of like cleaning um, jello off of the wheels because some <laughs> dumb kid put it on the train tracks. Oh, but it looks like you're not too far from Ottawa. Oh, no, we were like 45 minutes away from Ottawa. Oh, okay. So it's almost like a suburb, but mm-hmm. not So good. Ottawa is where you would go if you were, uh, like, for the for the big shop or for the Yeah, that's right. If you want to go movie. to, like, civilization. But then Ottawa itself, as far as big cities go, it's pretty lame as well. <laughs> I like to say that, like, I live in Toronto, and when I would go to Ottawa, I'm like, it's scary here. The streets are so empty and big. Yeah, I've been, I did a show in Ottawa years ago, and it it, it is it's one of those... Like, I mean, there are a few places in the world, like Canberra is similar, where it's just, it has been decided that this is the capital. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody, like, threw a dart at a board somewhere, and they're like, oh, yeah, Ottawa, I guess this is the capital. Yeah. <laughs> when everybody just assumes it's Toronto, because that's the only Canadian city anybody knows. Yeah. It's yeah. like, here's all the government, like, big important government stuff, and very little else. Yeah, so it's like big industrial buildings, very um, crappy public transportation, and big empty streets at like 9 o'clock at night with nobody on them, even though you're right downtown. Huh, interesting. I've never been. Uh, it's not suddenly jumping to the top of my list. Yeah, I was going to say, list. what's not recommend? You're not selling me on this. I remember the show being a lot of fun. I remember enjoying... Sorry, I'm trying to move... Oh, God, so we... Did, Andy, did I tell you I actually traveled with the cat? Oh, I, you did, but you didn't fly with him. Or you? D- oh, yeah, I did. Oh, okay. I thought you said someone drove him out to you or something. No, no, no. It's it's far stupider than that. It's um, uh, so Holly and Carl, her brother, drove out with Carl's cat over the course of two two days. That's I flew I with Doug, uh, a very a, a relatively drugged Doug. Doug is our cat. But it turns out you can drug him, but he can still fight through it. <laughs> <laughs> so he was still like <laughs> the entire time. Yeah, he's he can still, you know. Again, I, I don't want to put everything in this sh- episode in movie terms, but this would be the scene where you know the hero is is drugged, but he can still like hear the voices and it, like you know it's just it's like just work through it, just fight it, just fight it. And I imagine still, like, the cat like the bag. bursts out of the carrying case that you have, and you have to like pull a trank gun and you're like shooting. Yeah. Him. And he's trying to run away, but he's so strong, it doesn't really affect well, him. The thing is, he did kind of semi-burst out of the bag, because <laughs> you have to you have to take his he- take him out to walk, ha- like, you have to walk him in your arms through security. Oh. But he definitely, like, you unzipped it, and his head instantly pops out. He's like, I'm free. And then he looks and sees the whole airport, and he's like, oh, this is, I'm, I don't want freedom. <laughs> okay, so he didn't like burst out and like go running across the airport to a series of slapstick hijinks when you tried to catch him. No, what what I did do is we have a harness and and a leash that Holly <laughs> bought at some point with some ludicrous aim of teaching him how to walk uh, on a leash, which never happened. 
Like, he got, again, he, like, sort of got very, like, yeah, I'm doing this, and then got, like, as far as three steps away from our front door and was like, hey, this is a very bad idea. Yeah, he just yeah. pancaked. He just laid down on the ground. He's <laughs> just... like, I can't do anything. Um, so I had the harness on him and I put and I clipped the leash on before I took him out of the bag and I had that wrapped around just in case he did decide to make a dash of freedom. Like, I had control of him. But in the end, like, the second he's out of the bag and in the airport going through the x-ray machine, he's like, this is putting me back in this bag immediately. Wait, they had to put him through the x-ray machine? <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Like, no, this is... Sorry. <laughs> It's specifically so you don't put him through the x-ray machine. Oh, you okay. put the bag through the x-ray machine, and I walk through the metal detector with him. The x-ray machine would just make him more powerful. You don't yeah, want that's 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 that to We all know what happens once that, yeah. Did anybody in the TSA at any point exclaim, that darn cat, did that happen? <laughs> yeah, like a 40s like uh, airport detective. He's like, that darn cat. <laughs> Isn't that a movie? Am I? Oh, yes. Okay. It is a Disney movie. Oh, there's two of them. I didn't realize that the there's 97 one is a like, remake. One of them, the cat becomes a millionaire. That <laughs> like... <laughs> dark cat. Um, so while we are talking about darn animals, we do have a, a correction slash clarification that came in after last week's episode from our buddy uh, Michael Smout, who you may remember as the guy who helped us get to Australia a couple of years ago. But we were talking about Tasmanian devils and the, the face tumor, and uh, he said... Just filling in your guessings on the Tasmanian devil, devil and the face tumor stuff with a caveat. This may, my info is from what I remember reading a few years ago. My, Mick, <laughs> Mick, you're a scientist. Get this right. You better, you better be right on this one because we're taking your word for it. We're assuming you're right on everything. But he said, uh, the story you mentioned of setting up a colony on an island was part of several product projects in the early days to create isolated colonies without the tumor in case it wiped them all out. So this is a, like this face cancer that a bunch of Tasmanian devils have uh, uh, for the people who didn't hear last week's episode. And as initially it was unknown why the cancer was so infectious, some thought it might be a parasite or a virus that was ripping through the colonies, which is not a crazy idea, as a few macroscopic parasites could cause cancer and, of course, viruses like HPV causes uh, cervical cancer. But no infection could be found, and teams eventually worked out that the tumor was genetically identical across hundreds of animals. It turned out that, yeah, Devils, Tasmanian devils' mating behaviors are their downfall. This is their shitty violence that uh, mm. Annie was talking about. They establish dominance by biting the opponent's face and end up with a roughed up, up face. And of course, this is unfortunately how the tumor spreads. The contact and wounds that come from biting another devil ends up transmitting the tumor. Of course, normal cancer can't transmit that way as immune systems take care of it. But the East Coast devil where it started, are very inbred and so genetically similar to each other that the tumor could jump from animal to animal. So technically, that original Tasmanian devil that got the, that got the cancer is, quote, immortal, as it survives through the cancer passed onto each animal, which is a pretty horrible way to get immortal. Yeah, I don't know if I would count that, but okay, I see the point. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Taz lives on in our hearts. <laughs> right? Yeah. He also said, but luckily, as the tumor spread across Tasmania, the genetic variation of the animals <laughs> increased... And so it seems that the West Coast animals are different enough to fight it off. Interesting. And he's linked to an article with more details that we'll put in the show notes. So I mean, the Tasmanian devil, he got so powerful. He was a like king of the world on all those shirts with those baggy clothes on. Yeah. Arms crossed. Yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's spreading cancer, but also <laughs> immortal. So, you know, it's a sad, but he lives on in our hearts. <laughs> Live by the face biting, die by the face biting, as they say. <laughs> that's right. If they could just stop with the face biting, they'd be fine. He can't. That's his trademark. Like, <laughs> and he bites people's faces. 
Would you, you, would, you kill, would you tell Bugs to not eat rabbits? Uh, not eat carrots? <laughs> oh my god, rabbits. Bugs is a cannibal too? <laughs> Listen, they're all Hollywood sickos. <laughs> right? Thank you. Yeah. Everyone's got a thing. Mm-hmm. There's a secret tunnel underneath Space Jam headquarters that connects it to <laughs> a pizza place. Have you guys seen that video that was just going viral maybe just this morning of that preacher talking about the tunnels under the Capitol? No, I have no. not. Yeah, I mean, it's just what you think it is. You know, I just, was hoping that there was like some Space Jam 2 related stuff where they're no, like, Listen, just, we're opening up the Space Jam missiles. There's tunnels underneath the uh, Space Jam complex and they're doing sick stuff. I, mean, and, I don't doubt know, they need those to be taken Hollywood down. cartoons. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're sickos. <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of movies and science, I realize this is actually kind of a fitting um, time to have you on, Justin, because um, have you seen a YouTube original called Could You Survive the Movies? No, I have by not. Any chance? Ah, I wrote on the second season of that, which is coming out uh, this week, July 1st. So everybody go check out Could You Survive the Movies? Oh, yeah, YouTube. definitely do that. That's a great, it's a really great show. It's really fun. It's a science look at movies. So the first season, they had movies like Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, Die Hard, and <laughs> looked at things like if you actually had a 100-foot-tall you know, marshmallow man and it stepped on a car, would, would the car get damaged or would the marshmallow's consistencies kind of you know, make it go around it? Is the answer always, you would die. Like, yeah. it would horribly be mutilated and patched away. In a lot of cases, yeah. It's like the Back to the Future, they looked at that opening scene when he plays guitar in front of that huge amp, and if you had a pressure wave like that, what would it do to you? And of course, it would just, like... I mean, instantly, you're permanently deaf, but also... Like, liquefy you? Just force blow the skin off your body? More or less. So in that case, they had, like, a tactical... Or a ballistics dummy that they shot with this <laughs> yeah. air blast. It was weird that they made him look like Michael J. Fox, but, you know, they, they wanted did. to. Well, that's the thing. The, the show is actually really good as far as production quality. They, they have the a budget, and, and they've really put the work in. It's, it's an yeah. impressive show. It's, hosted it's by like, Jake wait Schrober. a minute. That's not a dummy. That's just a Michael J. Fox stand-in that they hire. <laughs> it, well, yeah, so Jake Roper plays a lot of these characters, who's uh, the host of Vsauce, which is a great uh, YouTube science channel. And actually, I bet we could probably get him on the next couple weeks. But um, yeah, this new season has some fun ones. It's got a quiet place. So we got to do all kinds of things about the science of sound. And um, I, I haven't seen the final cuts. I think that uh, Jake even got to go to that room that's the quietest place on Earth. Have you guys ever heard or, heard of or seen Yes, that? I have. It's like like this absolute, like, super, like, ultrasonic dampening, isn't it? It's just and, like... Yeah, it's completely devoid of light and sound and it. And it I supposedly can drive one insane. And Jake's never been the same. He's still wandering the countryside, completely uh, (laughs) wild and out of his mind. Just the slightest rustle of paper. He's just like (laughs) yelling in pain. He goes all Tasmanian devil. He's like biting people in the face. Uh, So we have Uh, that one, and there's Top Gun and Titanic, which is an interesting one that they picked because, like, could you survive the Titanic? Well, some did, some didn't. Uh, It's an actual thing. (laughs) But uh, there's Harry Potter... um, and zombie movies writ large. We did a bunch of zombie tropes that are really fun. So yeah, look out for Could You Survive the Movies on YouTube for free. Cool. Um, oh, by the way, also another correction or a clarification from listener Ben Murphy about the oldest civilization. He's Australian. And we were talking about whether how much older Australia civilization was than or Australian people were, settlements were than, Australia, uh, than America's. And he says, well, there's a gross imperialist idea here here, I presume in Australia, that indigenous Australians are the world's quote oldest living culture. Nevertheless, humans have huh. been li- yeah. Nevertheless, humans have been living in Australia for at least fifty to sixty-five thousand years, which is twice as long as the Americas. 
But yeah, I think that's about what I said. But I mean, I, I guess I was somehow like trying to say that that wasn't as dumb of a wrong answer as if it had been like orders of magnitude difference or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, wait, what's the? I don't get the. What's imperialist about someone incorrectly thinking they're the oldest living culture? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't entirely sure about that. Yeah, I'm going to anyway, Google. Whatever. Um, but yeah, it's definitely longer than I thought because I. I Am I also incorrect to think that when humans first did come to Australia, it was, this is going to sound super dumb if it was 60,000 years ago, do I even want to say this? Was it via boat or not? Uh, From where to where? When humans first got to Australia. Because I thought that was the reason that that Guns, Germs, and Steel article about how megafauna were wiped out was because their introduction was sudden and that was why animals didn't evolve alongside them like they did in Africa. So the animals weren't adapted to surviving alongside smart humans. And therefore humans could just walk up and bop them on the head. And I thought that's why the fossil record showed that so many animals went extinct, like within a few centuries of humans introduction to Australia, which is why I thought they came suddenly, which is why I thought maybe boats, but 60,000 years ago for boats maybe seems crazy. Now, the more I talk, the dumber I feel. So stop talking. <laughs> I'm just sitting here nodding, going, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it no, says no it here. No confirmation, but I'm involved as well. It was a balloon. It was a hot air balloon. Okay. Yeah. That's what my and it was part of a gentleman's wager. <laughs> <laughs> the $1 bet. <laughs> which, by the way, was a hell of a lot of money. That's true. Inflation. That was like a million dollars back then, yeah. a whole dollar. Yeah. Oh, by the way, speaking of Australia, have you guys been following? I didn't realize that I knew Australia had been doing a great job of lockdowns compared to us, but I didn't know that in the meantime, they haven't been vaccinating. And now they're in this unique bind that maybe sounds worse than where we are because they're locked down again. Every time they have a few cases come out, everything goes into like a, you know, complete code. Yeah, I, I have week. I have family in Australia. And yeah, it's driving me mad. It's one of the reasons why I might. I, we had to push back our wedding again is because my sister can't get out of Australia because she couldn't get back in again. Um, and uh, did I tell you you had to push back the wedding again? I think I did. Yeah, I I did. yeah. All right, just I mean, checking. at this point, just do a Zoom wedding. You know it's, it's going to uh... happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, the... Uh, uh, what was I saying? Um, yeah, it's that they're only like 5 to 10% fully vaccinated. Right, right. Their rollout's been really slow and and pretty poor and they made some bad bets on vaccines at the beginning but also just they've they've really not prioritized it because they I think their their government has been yeah, well we don't need it because we're all we're all still going out to restaurants anyway. So fuck those other countries and then they're not protected when a slight outbreak happens. Now there's a 2 week lockdown in Sydney. But also, if they keep, if the disease is as as rare in their population as it is, they'll they'll always be subject to that thing we talked about early on that you so perfectly described with a visual aid that I can't show in the podcast. But when you have a pretty damn accurate test, but a disease that's only in a tiny part of the populace, the the positive uh, test results are going to con- con- go to contain a huge disproportionate number of false positives compared to at a point when the disease actually is rampant or if the yes. test were a hundred percent basically. So I'm saying they could be, I don't know if this is true. They could be locking down over false positives and really have no way of knowing that because there's so little of the disease. There's going to be a lot more false positives within the positive test results. That's so true. It's going to damn them a bit. I would think. 
There is a study, by the way, that came out today that said, or just yesterday, I think, that said mixing COVID vaccines has been shown to give good protection. Oh, yeah, they're doing that in Canada. Like better than just one individual, you mean? Or just equal? I think I think it says equal or similar. How does oh, no, that help? Actually, no, the trial results also hint that people who have already received two doses of AstraZeneca vaccine could have a stronger immune response if they were given a different jab as a booster. Uh. Mixing doses could provide us with even greater flexibility for a booster program, while also supporting countries who have further to go with the vaccine rollouts and might be experiencing supply difficulties. Spain oh, and just... Germany are already offering the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines as a second dose to younger people who've already received a first AstraZeneca vaccine and are concerned about uh, blood clots. Oh, I forgot that that was a thing with, with that. Oh, yeah. AstraZeneca is like persona non gratis right now where it's like, oh, no, no more of this. Uh-huh. Pfizer or Moderna. Come on up. And wait, is Johnson & Johnson in short supply? That's, that's the single shot one, right? Wouldn't that yeah, be... and that, but that also has, similar to AstraZeneca, because it works in similar ways, it also had some similar possible um, blood clot issues. Uh, and I believe the single one is also, I mean, it's really good if efficacy, you know, overall, but not as good as the Moderna or Pfizer ones. Yeah, although that's, it, it's a little hard to tell, because when... When those studies came out, I don't think anyone still yet has done a thorough and controlled side-by-side exp- um, study. Mm-hmm. Because right. totally. yeah, because when it came out, when they because Johnson and Johnson came out later, they were studying it on a more virulent and prevalent form of the vaccine. Mm. Oh, sorry, of the virus rather, and and also they try they weren't testing it on exactly the same populations either they were testing it on in different countries and they were testing it in some places that had more prevalent and more virulent forms of the virus so basically some of those stats that showed that Pfizer was substantially better than Johnson & Johnson were because Pfizer was taking an easier test mm. so know. yeah so you the only way you'll know for sure is when they have like they should have quite a bit of data now based on the actual rollouts in the whole population rather than the, tr- the studies the trial rollouts but i don't know if the i don't know what the stats are i don't know what the details are but i think johnson and johnson is substantially better than was first thought Com- mm-hmm. you know it isn't there isn't as big a drop-off and also all of them pretty i think all of the vaccines pretty much eliminated deaths like sort of pushed yeah de- or deaths and even sit yeah well. Exactly. They all push deaths and hospitalizations down to a very, very small sliver of the population who've taken it. It is amazing. So basically, yeah, to echo the sort of cheesy-ish, well, slightly cheesy poster that was going around by the health department, like, the best vaccine is the one that you're offered. Mm. Just <laughs> whichever one, but whichever one you can get, like, even still, if you are currently unvaccinated and you are offered one, don't be like holding out for. No, I'm gonna wait, and I'm wait, gonna wait for try the. Try to make sure it's a government official of some kind. Okay. Yeah. If you meet somebody on the streets, it's like vaccines, vaccines. <laughs> Maybe reconsider that. I don't know. No, I think no. The CDC says those are legit. Okay. The best vaccine is the one you get from a trench coat pocket. <laughs> wait a minute. This doesn't say CDC. It says CDT. Is that the same organization? <laughs> Did this come from the Central Daylight Time Zone? <laughs> I'm just a big fan of it. 
Yeah, it's, it's one of the best areas and times of year. I listen to their podcast. I'm subscribed to their Patreon. I just love them so much. Uh, so, so uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, what were you going to say? Because I got I got a story loaded up, but we, you might have a different story loaded up. No, I was actually just curious about. I was didn't know if Justin uh, had any updates about what where where Canada is. But we don't have to dwell on more COVID stuff. I just haven't been following. Oh, we're doing think... uh, shockingly well right now. Okay, um, that's good. They, Canada focused on a plan of getting as many first doses into people, so there was kind of a wait for the second one, but now it's open, and if you're over 18, especially in Ontario, you can just go and get vaccinated. And we were locked down for a long time. It only opened up last week, I think. Oh, that's great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good to hear. So there's, there's two big science stories that a bunch of people have sent in, and I'm, I'm just going to... Thank you, everyone who sent these in. I'm also going to just put the... I'm going to do the BBC version of this story. But Dragon Man Discovery. Mm. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. Chinese researchers have unveiled an ancient skull that could belong to a completely new species of human. The team have claimed... The teams claim that it is our oldest evolutionary relative amongst known species of ancient human, such as Neanderthals and Homo erectus. Nicknamed Dragon Man, the specimen represents a human group that lived in East Asia at least 146,000 years ago. thought this was appropriate, given the stuff we were already just talking about. By the way, I also put a link to an, an essay about Australia's oldest civilization as a concept. And and how it, and it's as a constructed concept. So there you go. You can read that if you're interested. I'm looking at the article here, and I'm very disappointed that the artist rendering isn't like what you imagine when you hear Dragon <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. Like a green person with wings. Maybe he breathes fire. I mean, he's a dragon, right? Well, we don't know yet whether, because the trouble is fire doesn't fossilize as well, but they, they can look for scorch marks <laughs> around where he fossilized. Yeah, there's like a skeleton with like its arms up, like, no! <laughs> right before the skin was uh, burned from its body. <laughs> that scene from Terminator 2 with the... <laughs> yeah, like the nuclear bomb going yeah. up. Oh man, we found this fence, and the skeleton was all yeah. It's <laughs> also tied up to it. Fences were invented. It's just the fossil of a of a swing swinging by itself. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, James Cameron ripped something else off. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? The ripoff from? Oh, he was sued um, when he made the first Terminator by Harlan Ellison for. Uh, was it an Outer Limits episode of uh, the Demon with the Glass Hand? Oh. And Harlan Ellison won too. Oh, cause that. Oh, that, uh, uh, and it's Robert Culp, isn't it? Uh, it's it's I, one of I the. I think so. Yeah, it was an episode of The Outer Limits. It's shot in and, the Bradbury Building. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, it was Robert Culp, and it was very like Terminator-ish, and he even had like the hand thing, which you see in uh, the Terminator. Oh, that's true. Cause like the hand was like all of humanity was contained. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a leap to. He's coming uh, from listen, the future to save the coming back from the future to save the future, mm-hmm. but it's a little different the mechanism by which he has to. Do. <laughs> well, I the courts see. say that Harlan Ellison was right. And you okay. got a big payout from it. Yeah, that's a fun episode. I think I just was trying to like go through people's top lists of hourly limits and Twilight Zones at some mm. point, and that was one of the top rated ones. And that's yeah, go check that out. I think it's on Amazon Prime even. So, Dragon Man was found at Harbin in northeast Canada in 1933 but only came to the attention of scientists more recently. I mean, Wait, that's how, quite a... did, how did that happen? They're <laughs> yeah. like, hey, what's this Dragon Man thing? Almost, almost 100 years later, like 88 <laughs> years after it was first discovered in northeast China, the analysis of the skull has been published in the journal The Innovation. 
which also sounds like a sort of like oh yeah that sounds very legitimate <laughs> the innovation sounds like a buzzword journal yeah or, or just something that has like gadgets that you can buy from a like when you're bored on a plane <laughs> hammock or yeah. yeah exactly where it's like oh wow i could get like a back scratcher that's electric and it costs four hundred dollars that's innovation <laughs> this is so much better than having a wife <laughs> oh man it got she'll dark. come back she'll come back yeah <laughs> i'm flying on this plane i wish i had somewhere opener. to go <laughs> one of the uk's leading experts in human evolution professor chris stringer from the london's natural national uh, i really can't talk today london's natural history museum which by the way is a great museum if you ever find yourself in london with a spare few hours it's uh it's like all the big london museums it's free you can just wander in the first hall you enter has this the skeleton of a blue whale just dangling from the ceiling and it's uh it's big it's a little <laughs> bit of science information a small blue whale yeah you're like wow what a ripoff <laughs> you're like tiny they weren't lying to me they really are big those blue whales <laughs> but yeah it's got all the stuff you want in a, nat- in a natural history museum how many dinosaurs does it have they got a load of dinosaurs uh how many real dinosaurs because i was very shocked when I was a teenager and I learned that, hey, you see this big dinosaur uh, we have here? It's all fake. It's plaster. There's, like, two bones that are real. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I thought you were talking about, like, something that they would, like, later. This isn't actually a dinosaur we've discovered. It's actually a type of ant or whatever. Uh, <laughs> a giant ant? That'd be awesome. I'm, I'm in for that, too. But, um, no, they definitely, they've got some solid amounts of relatively complete skeletons of, of nice. dinosaurs. But what a so Chris Chris Stringer, Professor Chris Stringer says, in terms of fossils in the last million years, this is one of the most important yet discovered. What you have here is a separate branch of humanity that is not on its way to becoming Homo sapiens, which is our species, but represents a long separate lineage which evolved in the region for several hundred thousand years and eventually went extinct. And there's a picture of what this person might have looked like below. And you know, he looks like a kind of Looks like a fun, like, kind of party dude, I think. Yeah, he's got a little smile on his <laughs> face like in one of the photos. I smile on the profile yeah. part of it. Yeah, they've, I, it is. It's the, whoever the artist is who did the rendering just gave him, like, a kind of, um, like, a bit of a twinkle in the eye. Yeah, he's very, uh, oh, you know what he evolved into? Santa Claus. Look at him. <laughs> Santa air about yeah. him. <laughs> he really did, because he's got, he's got long hair. I guess most, most party dudes and even straight-laced <laughs> dudes back then had long hair. Back then, back during the Dragon Man time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the researchers say the discovery had the potential to rewrite the story of human evolution. Their analysis suggests that it is more closely related to Homo sapiens than it is to Neanderthals. They, oh, well, that's not as exciting then. <laughs> but they, they've assigned the, spe- the specimen to a new species, Homo longi, from the Chinese word long, meaning dragon. Hmm. We found mm. our long-lost sister lineage, says Zijun Ni, who's a professor at the Chinese Academy of Sciences. Does that he... mean dragon lost sister lineage or? Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Man, again, dragon man is just promising way more than it can deliver. Yeah. Like if I went yeah. to a carnival, they're like, see the dragon man. <laughs> just... And I go in, and I'm like, oh man, it just looks like a normal skull. It's just a dude. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, just, he's just sitting there. He's like, Hey, how's it going? Yeah, friends call me drags. <laughs> yeah, Dragon Man was my father's name. <laughs> oh my god, Doug. Sorry, What's he he's never Well, I he's n- he just keeps walking backwards and forwards past the microphone and I'm I don't know if you can hear like rustling and the jingling of the bell that means he's he's approaching. 
But, no, no. All right. And he's also keeps he keeps sort of flopping on the cable for my headphones and just sort of dragging my head down with it. So Zizhou Ni says, I said, oh my gosh, I could not believe it was so well preserved. You can see all the details. It's a really amazing find. This skull is huge compared with the average skulls belonging to other human species. Its brain was, com- was comparable in size to those from our species. Dragon Man had large, almost square eye sockets, thick brow ridges, a wide mouth, oversized teeth. Uh, so, you know, just that's the stuff you need to get in if you're being Dragon Man this Halloween. <laughs> Pref- you know, uh, hearing that description and looking at this image, uh, I wish I didn't have this image in front of me because, oh, what my mind could do with what you just described. <laughs> like, it's the biggest head I've ever seen. And I just imagine, like, a man, like, just head with, like, little arms and legs. <laughs> and square eyes, square eyes. Yeah. <laughs> like, robot style. <laughs> Yeah, his, very his, Mr. Potato Heady. This description. His pupils. Yeah, I guess I'm just imagining <laughs> Mr. Potato Head like Modoc. Right, yeah. His pupils move independently, and sometimes they change into different symbols depending on what he's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Including if you knock him on the head, it turns into like a fruit, into like a slot machine. Oh, he goes like spins amazing. around, and the eyes go ding, ding, cherry, ding, ding, cherry, ding. Cherry, yeah. <laughs> and then money falls out of his belly. Dragon Man it, was versatile. It has a mosaic combination of primitive and more modern features, setting itself apart from all other species of humans, the researcher explained. The scientists believe that Dragon Man was powerfully built and rugged, but little is known about how he lived because his skull was removed from the site in which it was found. This means there is currently no archaeological context, such as stone tools or other elements of culture. The skull was reportedly discovered in 1933 by a construction worker helping to build a bridge on the Sonhua River running through Harbin in... God, there's some difficult names to say. Uh, Heilongjiang province, which translated means Black Dragon River, hence the new uh, human's name. There we go. Okay. Mystery solved. All right. Again, too much promise. Yeah. Give him a normal name. Uh, like, I don't know. It's like other guy you know it doesn't promise anything yeah. you know that it's different but there's no dragon or i don't know a robot like robot man again that would promise something that it can't deliver he was found near a robot factory right <laughs> yeah. it does seem almost he's, like he's called samsung man or uh, who man <laughs> it still seems like an old carny trick like have you ever heard about those things they would do like they'd have a sign like pay you know five cents to see the man-eating chicken and then they open the, the curtain and it's a dude eating a chicken dinner. It's like, okay, technically it is man eating chicken. Technically this is a man from Dragon. He is the Dragon Man. You've caught me. Yeah, you got me. I came yeah. to this museum. I had to pay for it. <laughs> Ugh, what a ripoff. <laughs> but it is scientifically exciting, if not yes. uh, flamethrower yes, exciting. So the city was under Japanese occupation at the time. Suspect. Suspecting its cultural value, the Chinese worker smuggled it home to keep it out of the hands of occupiers. He hid it at the bottom of his family's well, where it remained for around 80 years. Whoa. Yeah. The man told his family about the skull before he died, which is how it eventually got into the hands of scientists. What would be the first thing that either of you would do if you found a skull, like, on the street? Hmm. I mean, I assume it's fake, first of all, but... Yeah. I guess back then you wouldn't assume someone has a good facsimile of a skull so yeah i guess bottom of a well bottom of a well pretty much yeah yeah, yeah I, I put it in my well <laughs> i mean i don't have a well but if i had one you better believe i'd be putting things in it 
you just kind of like put it be- behind your toilet. <laughs> like, yeah, I never look back here anyway. So this is just like a f- fifth of whiskey as well. Right. It's like it's exactly where I went with that. It's like where alcoholics hide their booze and skulls. And skullaholics hide their skulls. And alcoholics hide their alcohol. There's skulls everywhere. Did you check me on the toilet? There's yeah. even one there. And this one's special. It's a dragon man skull. Ooh, does that mean he has wings? No, no, unfortunately no, he's not. From the town honey, of dragon. Honey, I know you've been back on the skulls again. Wait, I have a question. So he admitted this when he died. Was it like his last words? Yeah. I found Check the, the well. It's in the well. Dragon man like in well. To murder. There's money in that banana stand, he said. Yeah. <laughs> so Dragon Man joins a number of early human remains uncovered in China that has proven difficult to have proven difficult to categorize. These include remains from Dali, Jinshuan, and Hualondong, and the Jahi jawbone from the Tibetan plateau. There's been a fierce debate over whether these remains represent a primitive examples of Homo sapiens or Neanderthals, or a human group called the Denisovians, or something else entirely. It is. Oh, sorry, Denisovian. We've had I, every time this this comes up yeah, on the show, and it has come of... up multiple times. I've never been able to pronounce it correctly first time. Uh, Denisovans, I believe it is. Where they were first identified from DNA retrieved from 50,000 to 30,000 year old finger bones, or a finger bone rather, discovered in a Denisova cave in Russia. Because the remains associated with the sister lineage to Neanderthals were so fragmentary, the group has been described as a genome in search of a fossil record. Professor Marta Merazon La from the University of Cambridge believes that Dragon Man was in fact a Denisovan. The, the Denisovans are this fascinating mystery population from the past. There is a suggestion from DNA evidence that the jawbone found in the Tibetan plateau may be a Denisovan. And now, because the jawbone from the Tibet and Dragon Man look like each other, now we might actually have the first face of the Denisovan. We've had his finger, now we got a face, guys. Aren't we mm. all just a genome in search of a fossil record? <laughs> describe a lot of people. That's a beautiful way of putting things. Yeah. Yeah. I do like there's this whole group that they're like, we don't know what it fits in. Put it in this one. Um, and, and a group that recently published details of remains from Israel belonging to a possible precursor species to the Neanderthals believed that Dragon Man might be descended from humans that first emerged in the Levant region. But the Chinese researchers maintain that the hard-to-classify fossils from East Asia represent the gradual evolution of a new species. Professor Nee has a gracious response to those that disagree with this assessment. Here's, here's the gracious response. The results will spark a lot of debate, and I'm quite sure that a lot of people will disagree with us. But that is science, and it's because we disagree that science progresses. What would be a cooler name than Dragon Man that would get you excited? Werewolf Man? Mm, just Wolf Man, yeah, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Fireman? Man? And it just turns out it was discovered by a fireman. Yeah. Piranha Man? Some kind of, like, piranha-like creature? I guess that'd be exciting. Yeah. Five Penis Man. Oh, definitely. Man. It, was just, it was just discovered near what's called locally Five Penis River, because it branches in a weird way. <laughs> You're like, what a rip-off! I want my 20 bucks back! They're like, sorry, final sale! <laughs> Says right here, no take-backs. <laughs> I was gonna say Birdman, but that's already Harvey Birdman, uh, and or the Birdman yeah, of Alcatraz. Right. <laughs> By or the way, Birdman I, the movie. Oh, that's right. Uh, I, 
for, uh, that's one of those best picture best winners films. that we always forget, or that I always forget when I'm listing off best picture winners, which, you know, of Stolen course. Stolen Valor happens. from Harvey Birdman, the Michael <laughs> Keaton Birdman yeah. movie. It really, I, it diverged a long way from the source material. Yeah. Do you think anybody yeah. went, like, expecting, like, ooh, <laughs> Steve Carell is going to be back? Or, wait, no, who did the voice of Birdman on the TV show? The original thing that they appropriate. Oh, wait, no, not uh, the original no, Hanna Barbera, the, the um, Adult Swim one. Yeah, was it which is back? Famous? I was very surprised too. Oh, Stephen Colbert did the voice of Harvey Birdman. Thank I didn't you. know that. That's yep. Wow, that's awesome. But yes, I feel a lot of people were disappointed. They're like, when Stephen Colbert <laughs> going to show up, <laughs> or Scooby Doo, or the Flintstones? Yeah. Uh, well, you know how you could become less confused about things. Ooh, uh, I have a, I have a hunch. Ooh, I feel an advertisement uh, uh, coming. Uh, yeah, up. And, and also, I don't know. Be uh, avail yourself of the wonders of the world and of human knowledge. Sounds like you're talking about a fantastic video and audio learning experience. Yeah, I, I can't, yes, Andy, I am. I am. Specifically, namely Wondrium, our new improved sponsor. The sponsor formerly known as the Great Courses Plus. Yeah, That's right. All the courses that we've talked about before that you stream from Great Courses are still there, um, but they also have partnerships with National Geographic, Smithsonian, History, Culinary Institute of America, and so much more. So there's just so much content, so many originals. You should really check it out. I was just looking at um, one about everyday mathematics, mathematics of everyday life, and thinking uh, this would have been a useful thing to just be required learning for high schoolers. Things like how mortgages... What are you forcing on us now? <laughs> the magic of compound interest, how mortgages really work, how to get out of credit card debt. Like, actually, super useful real life things oh, uh, God. that that should be absolutely compulsory absolutely. teaching at school because nobody knows that when they get out of high school well like you know compound interest i think is is the most like god that, like that should be forced on you from the age of 10 of just like hey listen just if you were able to invest even a tiny amount now that will be so much better than if you wait until you are earning a good income before you invest anything yeah. Uh oh. Are you about to make another pitch to us of stuff that we have to invest in? <laughs> yeah. And that's why our other sponsor is Investopia. <laughs> you better make sure that isn't a real thing. Yeah, we better we have to edit it out. <laughs> but no, that one dream is yeah, new, improved, expanded. They've got so so many things from so many different sources. Uh, all of the videos that you previously liked, and and originals, and library catalogs from National Geographic, and so many other like go and check it out but my my only issue is uh andy my problem is if people want to check it out like that feels like a heavy upfront investment you know what you might think that but you'd be wrong because if you go to wondrium.com slash probably you'll get a 14-day free trial with unlimited access you can go learn about compound interest and mortgages and cooking and ancient egypt and whatever else you want to learn about so that is the great oh, fucking hell wow that was helpful so having can you edit that <laughs> Yep. So so that is W O N D R I U M dot com slash probably. You know another thing you can learn about from Wondrium? What's that? What? Space and the universe. Oh there's a, there's a hell of a lot of courses about that, and one of them is gonna have to be updated because there is some brand new information out there about space and the universe. Because astronomers have just worked out when the first stars shone. Oh no! Hmm. Will this completely shatter what we know as far as history goes? And we'll yeah, it was the mid fifties. It was the mid fifties. This is the golden yeah. <laughs> yeah, before that, we didn't really have stars. They just uh, thought we did. 
they were just like studio owned people they weren't like independent. <laughs> yeah. yeah we shot clark gable into the sky and now he shines brightly upon all of us so this period known as the cosmic dawn occurred between 250 to 350 million years after the big bang the results indicate that the first galaxies will be bright enough to be seen by nasa's james webb's telescope uh, the james webb space telescope is set to be launched later this year the study is published in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. See, that's a more proper journal name. That's a journal name you can trust. Yeah, that's one that you look at and you're like, oh, man, I guess I'm happy it exists. <laughs> read it, though. This isn't... I've already forgotten what the name of the other journal was called. In- Innovations? Innovations, yeah. Uh, like Synergy is another journal, I'm sure. <laughs> You know what? Innovations also feels like a band, like a wedding band. <laughs> we play all the hits. Yeah. Which is very ironic considering our name is Innovation. <laughs> Not a single did. original. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're all ska covers. That's where the innovation <laughs> Who's ready to skank? All right, Uncle. <laughs> Go do it. Yeah. Wasn't that wasn't that Spinal, right, Tap's, Spinal Tap's first name in the movie when they're interviewing about their or, their origins? They said we were called the Originals. Then we found out there was already a band called that, so we had to change the name <laughs> to the, the New Originals. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I derailed the space conversation with Spinal Tap. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, that's never a bad thing. So, discovering when the cosmic dawn began has been the life's work of Professor Richard Ellis from the University College London. He told BBC News, The Holy Grail has been to look back far enough that you'd be able to see the first generation of stars and galaxies, and now we have the first convincing evidence of when the universe was first bathed in starlight. The team analysed six of the most distant galaxies. They were so far away that even with the world's most powerful telescopes, they appeared just as a few pixels on the screen. They are also amongst the earliest to have emerged in the universe, and so the time that their images are captured, by the time their images are captured by telescopes on Earth, they are seen not long after the Big Bang. By working out their age, the team calculated the start of the cosmic dawn when the stars first formed. Dr. Nicholas Laporte from the Kavli Institute of Astronomy in Cambridge led the analysis. So now that they found it out, they're like, this is the holy grail. Is it like the coyote catching the roadrunner that he's like, well, I guess I figured it out. Yeah. What's next? That's the end of science. Yeah. There is a picture. Everybody pack it up. Destroy all the telescopes. We know too much. Yeah. And then uh and then someone go like opens one dusty drawer. Hang on a minute. What's this? <laughs> this, this skull. This seems like some new science that needs doing. And then it's like these dust covers are ripped off the machines, the instruments. <laughs> so people have been pulled out of retirement. Oh yeah, it's like one last go. One like, trivial thing that they have to figure out. Welding masks flipping up left and right. Yeah. 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 Wheeling it's out from like under a car. Score playing. <laughs> da, 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 da. But there is a there's an illustration of the James Webb telescope, space telescope up in this article. And by the way, it looks very Star Wars. Yeah. Mm. The hexagon, the, the the sort of honeycomb thing definitely adds a sci-fi element to it. Yep. So there's a primary mirror and a secondary mirror and a sunshade and a stabilization Whoa. flap. It genuinely looks like it's going to shoot a laser out of it. Yeah. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. 
This is not yeah. to be confused with the Jimmy Webb Space Telescope, which was designed to figure out who left the cake out in the rain in MacArthur Park. Um, <laughs> sorry, is that it's a joke for two people. Sorry. Oh, but they're laughing okay. so hard right now. <laughs> like Jimmy Webb's listening to the episode. It's just like finally. Just chef's kiss, yeah. Yeah, he listens to every podcast ever waiting for a reference. And he's like, that's it. I can pack it up. I don't have anymore. And then, we, and then years later, suddenly there's like an un, unreferenced Jimmy <laughs> We need Jimmy Webb back. He's welding. <laughs> he's the Wichita lineman. Yeah, he does some welding sometimes. So it's another thing for one person sorry this is one of the biggest questions in modern cosmology this is the first time we've been able to predict from observations when this crucial moment in the history of the universe occurred dr laporte said that obtaining the result was a dream come true it's fantastic to think that particles of light have been traveling through space for over 13 billion years and then entered a telescope the wonderful thing about being an astrophysicist is the ability to time travel and witness the distance past he explained the universe came into being 13.8 billion years ago in the Big Bang. After an initial flash, it went through a period known as the Cosmic Dark Ages. According to the new study, 250 to 350 million years after the Big Bang, the first stars emerged, bringing light to the cosmos. Critically, the, the new analysis also indicates that the first galaxies are bright enough and within the range where they can be seen by the James Webb Space Telescope, which is the successor to the Hubble. And it may then be able to witness this crucial moment in the evolution of the universe directly. Mad. That is pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Scotland. Get back to me when they figure out where the Big Bang came from. <laughs> I'm very not impressed at the party where the scientist is telling me this. <laughs> He's like, oh, I found the Holy Grail. I'm like, oh, wow, he found where the universe actually came from and can explain it to me in layman terms. He's like, well, no, not, not that. Exactly. But the, the distance, how long it's been. I'm like, oh, all right, yeah. fine. But it is a, a remote. This thing for over, over 13 billion years in the past. That's in this wild. thing. So Scotland's Astronomer Royal, Professor Catherine Heyman, said she was so excited by this prospect. Is, it, isn't it just so fantastic that as humanity, a tiny civilization on planet Earth, we can create a telescope that we can send up into space and we can peer back into the universe as it was just a couple of hundred million years after the Big Bang. But can we shoot a laser to blow it up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we can, but we'd have to wait o over 13 billion years for it to get there and then another 13 plus billion years for us to see the result. I feel like we're stuck in some kind of time loop where we're eventually going to build the big bomb to figure out how the Big Bang happened. And really, we caused the Big Bang. Oh, yeah. I see. Causal loop. Here we yep. go. Bootstrap paradox created the universe. Mm -hmm. So many of the first stars were quite different to our own sun. They were more massive and burned only hydrogen. We like to call them dragon stars. <laughs> what does that involve? Wow, wow, wow. Slow down. They were... They were found by a telescope that we just nicknamed Dragon. <laughs> oh, man. It's not right. So, they, they, but these objects created the next generation of stars that led to the formation of heavier periodic table elements. Everything except for hydrogen, helium, and lithium is created inside stars when they explode at the end of their lives. We are therefore ultimately made from the stars that were born close to the dawn of the cosmos. Professor Ellis says, because we are ourselves the product of stellar evolution, we are looking back at our own origin. As, the Mo as Moby taught us, we are all made yeah. of stars. Yeah. yeah, we all stardust. We come from stars, we'll go back to the stars. 
The researchers analyzed starlight from the galaxies using both Hubble and the Spitzer Space Telescope. They estimated the age of the galaxies by examining the proportion of hydrogen atoms in the atmosphere of their stars. The older the stars, the greater the proportion of hydrogen atoms. The team then calculated how far away the galaxies were. Because light from these galaxies take time to reach us, the further away they are, the further back in time astronomers are observing them. Because the six galaxies the team studied are at the limits of objects that can be observed by telescopes, they are also amongst the earliest known. The team needed 70 hours of observing time using four of the largest ground-based telescopes to estimate their distances. And the team, they measure, the measurements enabled the team to confirm they were observing these galaxies when the universe was 550 million years old. Knowing the age of the galaxies and when they existed enabled the team to calculate when the first stars were born. Similar estimates have been made using just single galaxies, but this is the first meaningful estimate based on a representative group of them. That's and awesome. where do we go from here? What is the next step? What is the next holy grail? Uh, uh visiting them. <laughs> I, I guess. Ah, they're filled with monsters. <laughs> <laughs> this Which just but people from the city of Monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. Hey, how's it going? Oh, he's just a normal Homo sapien. Why do they call you monsters? Oh, oh, right, the city. We were just watching the movie when we discovered it. <laughs> Monsters? Yeah. The classic uh, Gareth Edwards film? There is, is there a movie just called Monsters? Yeah, oh. it was directed by the guy who did uh, um, Rogue One. It's called Monsters. Yeah, Gareth Edwards, 2010. Huh. I, I, was, I was thinking of the uh, monster, the Oscar-winning movie Monster, rather than <laughs> oh, Monsters. Charlie's oh, Theron <laughs> run? Oh, okay, yeah. But, the serial killer? They're like, yeah, we named him after the classic uh, Oscar-winning performance of Charlie Saran. We like to watch things like that to relax when we're cleaning our fossils <laughs> and observing our telescopes. Yep. Observing our telescopes. That's right. That's what we scientists call it. Yeah, right? <laughs> we just stare at our telescopes. We're like, mine's bigger than yours. Don't even way further. Don't even look through it. Just look at it from the side. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about status. It's not about what it can actually do. Right, right. There's a, there's a Christmas story. We haven't done a Christmas story in a while, Andy. Yeah, I like that idea. Listener from... Andrew Miller sent it in. Yes. Oh, I love Christmas stories. I paid for the whole seat, but I only need the edge when it comes to Christmas. <laughs> I, that, I, don't, I don't get that reference. Oh, I'm... like a, a raving about a movie, you would say I paid for the whole seat, but only <laughs> yeah. used the edge. That the Christmas stories are the really exciting ones. I was ones. on the edge of my seat. Oh. Yeah. I'd never heard that phrase before. That's a... It's a good. It's a good little bit of marketing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like it. Thank you. No problem. That'll be a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so CRISPR injected into the blood treats a genetic disease for the first time. Ooh. Yeah, the gene editor CRISPR excels at fixing disease mutations in lab-grown cells. But using CRISPR to treat most people with genetic disorders requires clear- clearing an enormous hurdle, getting the manuc- getting the molecular scissors into the body and having it slice DNA in the tissues where it's needed. Now in a medical... This creates a very violent image in my mind. Yeah. Like, get out the molecular scissors, get the CRISPR, it's slicing away like a samurai at all the, you know, bad stuff that it needs to deal with. Um, so, now in a medical first, the researchers have injected a CRISPR drug into the blood of people born with a disease that causes a fatal nerve and heart disease, and shown that in these, in three of them, it nearly shut off production of the toxic, toxic proteins by the livers. Uh, although it is too soon 
to know whether the CRISPR treatment will ease the symptoms of the disease, which is known as... Oh, God, why did I just... Why can't... Andy, you should read this one. Uh, <laughs> Transthyretin amyloidosis. The preliminary data... Right. Thank you. Sorry, the preliminary just, data reported... <laughs> I'm just saying that to make him feel better and so we can keep going. Hey, I think I that's... Can, yeah. I could hear this stuff as well. Oh, no. <laughs> amyloid... I'm guessing amyloidosis, right? There we go. Thank yeah. you. Sure. The preliminary data reported today are generating excitement about what could be a one-time, lifelong treatment. These are stunning results, says gene editing researcher and cardiologist Kieran Mus- uh, Musanuru of the University of Pennsylvania, who was not involved in the trial. It exceeds all of my expectations. Some might call it the Holy Grail. Because <laughs> it, it was discovered near Holy Grail High School. <laughs> <laughs> It's a Jesuit school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I ha- never actually noticed that CRISPR doesn't have an E in it. I love that. It's kind of like, listen, we need some edge. We need to sell it. Yeah. How about we take the E out? CRISPR. It's like an app. Yeah, exactly. It's a disruptor. I mean, they are disrupting genes. <laughs> listen, you know what they're doing? They're innovating. Yeah. Put it in Innovations Magazine. Hey, do it now. Get permission later. That's what I say. Yep. Oh no! When it comes to genetic sequencing, I yeah, don't know if that's a good sure. idea. <laughs> Modify away. So the work also marks a milestone for the race to develop treatments based on messenger RNA, mRNA, the protein-building instructions naturally made by cells. I heard of mRNA recently. Right? Hmm. What so, was it? Uh, who? Vaccine-related somehow? Yeah. So both the the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines use mRNA technology. Hmm. And many companies are working on M- other mRNA vaccines and drugs. The new treatment, which includes an mRNA encoding of one of CRISPR's two, inc- two components, begins the convergence of the fields of CRISPR and mRNA, says cardiovascular researcher Kenneth Chen of the Karolinska Institute, a co-founder of Moderna. The CRISPR clin- clinical trial aims to deactivate a mutated gene that causes liver cells to churn out misfolded forms of a protein called TTR, which builds up on nerves and the heart and lead to pain, numbness, and heart disease. The resulting condition is relatively rare, and an approved drug, um, patisseran, can stabilize it. But researchers at Veteran Biotech, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, and startup uh, Intellia Therapeutics, these all sound like sci-fi names. Like, everyone, if you're (laughs) starting... Well, it's good because it's called CRISPR, so every time I hear it, I'm like, mmm, potato chip. It takes me back down to, you know, the real world. (laughs) But, like, uh, they really got carried away when they were calling, okay, we're a biotech company, Regeneron, Intellia Therapeutics. (laughs) That's the name of an evil company, Regeneron? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or or just something that you you get injected with that turns you into a super soldier. Yeah, it's like... um, CRISPR supermen are our superiors. That's the tagline. Uh oh. So last year, these researchers used CRISPR to turn on a fetal form of hemoglobin to correct sickle cell disease or related diseases. The treatment required removing a patient's diseased blood stem cells, modifying them with CRISPR in a dish, and then infusing them back into the body. A trial testing a direct injection of a virus encoding CRISPR's components into the eye to create a condition that causes blindness is also underway. But treating most other diseases means somehow injecting CRISPR's components or genetic instructions for them into the blood and having the therapy target an organ or tissue. A huge challenge, but potentially easier in the liver because it sops up foreign particles. Yeah, it does. Yeah. In the, 
in the CRISPR trial. I love that. You're a big CRISPR fan. You're like, yeah, duh. Yeah, sop it up. I'm a big liver fan. But yeah. Mm. yeah, sop it up. <laughs> yeah, you love that. <laughs> oh, man, it sounds like this is uh, possibly science after dark. Yes. Now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, probably science. Hmm. But... Oh, I said possibly science. Sorry. I was thinking of the other podcast I'm starting. My bad. Uh, oh, no, <laughs> Justin. Yeah. Don't do that. I'm sorry. I've already have um, all of the sponsors lined up and I'm ready to go. I just came on this show to get a lay of the land. You know? yeah. I've got... <laughs> it's sponsored by Windrium. Hey, hang on a minute. Yeah, it's <laughs> Windrium. come to pass. There's, I'm, I'm going to say this story goes on for quite a while. Oh, We're going to link to the story yeah. in the show notes like uh, like we always do. You, so you can click on it and read the rest of it yourself and you can find out how to do it. But basically... <laughs> oh, no, please, don't recommend DIY CRISPR, I like it. Yeah. CRISPR at home. How long before we have home CRISPR kits? And how, how, much, can, how much can you do with it? Because we hear about CRISPR all the time and I still want to know whether... Like, you know, let's say I want a few extra fingers... <laughs> right a dorsal finger yeah it's like 3d printing crisper that's the next jump right <laughs> one, of, one of those tongue fingers that are always that people always want <laughs> to get stuff <laughs> out of your classic teeth classic tongue fingers yeah. yeah it's the new fashion statement everybody's talking about <laughs> what do i do first with crisper wings i guess uh yeah that's classic yeah, yeah. you're like i'm the dragon man now <laughs> Just, just keeps flying into light bulbs. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just one of those things. Just you know, there's always, there's, there's always a negative. I, I don't want the wings to fly. I don't. I'm sorry. I should have uh, explained. This is. I just want women to come up and take Instagram pictures. Uh, oh, in front oh, of me. You want to be like an Instagram <laughs> sensation? Yeah, I just want to be a backdrop for uh, tourists. To... <laughs> I, don't... I imagine now, three months from now, you're just wandering through like Hollywood Boulevard with wings. Yep. And, and I only want wings in the Paul McCartney sense. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so you can like genetically engineer the band wing. <laughs> They're back, baby. Uh, including, was was Linda a member of Wings? I think How she much... was. Like, I think he yeah, taught her to play some keyboards. Like, I, I probably that do we we we. I'm bad on the run. It's probably Linda to doing Wings that. Just last week, and I was like, "This isn't so bad." Oh, Wings is Wings are great or is great. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, who Band on the Run? That album is phenomenal. That's up there with mm-hmm. with a lesser Beatles Beatles album. Or even a non lesser one. I was hoping also that you were just wanting to bring the TV show Wings back. It's <laughs> yeah, oh. just like the whole cast. <laughs> You're like, those people are still alive. Thomas Hayden Church, Tim Daly, Stephen Chris, Weber. Crystal Bernard. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else can we pull? <laughs> yeah, Thomas Hayden Church. What a career. Who would have thought Lowell would become this, uh, you know, sort of action star? He had the Sandman in the Spider-Man movie, right? I imagine you making the news that you're like, I brought the whole cast of Wings back through CRISPR. <laughs> <laughs> I genetically engineered my friends into the cast of Wings. <laughs> And Thomas Hayden Church is like, you could have just called me. Um, I would have done it. I'm right yeah. here, dude. You, you know, I mean, like other sitcoms have done reunions. Uh, we haven't. <laughs> without having to go to any horrible, horrible genetic experiments. Wait, maybe the Friends reunion contains a badly crispered Matthew Perry that explains everything. <laughs> yeah, they didn't quite figure no. it out yet. It was, 
I know. I have a reveal, though. Age. Age is the crisper we all have to deal with. Yes. <laughs> the crispiest of crispers is age. <laughs> we we should wrap up the main episode, but um, Justin, have you got a minute or two to hang around for a uh, an extra little bonus for the Patreon of patrons? Course. Thank you. But in the meantime, where can our listeners find you and the various things you do? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at DeCluj, D-E-C-L-O-U-X, the letter J. I post most of the stuff that I do. You can listen to my weekly podcast, The Important Cinema Club, where we pick a topic every week and just kind of explore it for about 25 minutes. So do that. You can find us, obviously, probablyscience.com. That's where our show notes are and also our links to our Patreon and PayPal donation buttons. Thank you very much, everyone who helps us out like that. And everyone who helps us out by spreading the word and saying nice things about us on social media and elsewhere. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Probably Science, individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Probably Science at gmail.com is the email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, and stories you would like us to cover. But uh, uh, Don't forget to check out PossiblyScience.com. Maybe something No, just your job! <laughs> Justin, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me yes. again. Listeners, see you next time. Bye-bye.